I would like to give a welcome to all of you as well. Thank you for worshiping with us at Crossview Church, whether here in person or online. We're so glad you gathered with us. So it feels like we're coming back to a little more normal, right? Things are happening. We're coming out of that. It's been a rough go, hasn't it? This last year has been tough, and there's so many changes and wild things happened, um, especially with the stay-at-home order like a year ago. We had to be locked down. You couldn't go anywhere. Uh, It just, there was probably some positives to that, some good family time, but there's also some negatives to that. Maybe we got on each other's nerves a little bit more than normal. Uh, maybe some of that happened. Uh, that surely happened with Ernie and Gertrude. Did you hear what happened with Ernie and Gertrude? Or Trudy, as her friends call her. Did you hear about this? I'll have to tell you. So Ernie and Gertrude were married over 60 years, and the safe at home order hit. They got locked down. Uh, they were spending lots and lots of time together, which they weren't used to. And uh, it was a long, long safer at home period. Finally, the time came where they could get out a little bit and go to their first coffee. They returned back to the coffee shop and have their first coffee together. So they got in the car, they went to the coffee shop, they had coffee. On the way back, though, the tragedy struck and they got into a car accident. And it was a bad one. And Ernie was rushed to the hospital. Gertrude went right to the gates of heaven. She was there at the pearly gates and she met St. Peter there. And St. Peter said to her, Gertrude, you're here. And she said, Yes, I am. I'm a little nervous. I've been thinking about this my whole time, uh, my life, what's going to happen. And he said, okay, well, here's the deal. This is what you have to do. To get into heaven, all you have to do is spell a word. And if you get the word right, you get in. If not, I pull the lever. And we both know kind of what happens when I pull the lever. Pause story here. This is not biblical. This is not theological. I'm telling a joke, okay? So if you're offended or you get upset... It's just a joke. If you're really upset and offended, you can email me. My email address is chris at crossviewrapids.org. All right? It's just a joke. So they're standing there, and she says, you know, what do I do? He says, well, you just spell this word, and you get in. And she says, okay, what's the word? He said, just spell love, and you get in. Gertrude says, yes, I know this word. L-O-V-E. He said, you're in forever in heaven. Come on in. Pleasures evermore. And she's rejoicing. She's excited. And St. Peter says, "Um, Gertrude, I need your help with something. I have to run to a meeting. I need you to watch the pearly gates. She said, I don't know if I could do that. I just got here. And he said, no, it's simple. You just do what I did with you. People come. They spell the word love. They spell it right. They get in. If they spell it wrong, you just pull the lever. You know how to spell the word. You can do this. She says, okay. And so she's Watching the gates, person comes, she says, you have to spell love, L-O-V-E, boom, you're in. Another one comes, spells it right, they're in. All of a sudden, Ernie appears. Things didn't go well at the hospital. So Ernie's there, and he says, Gertrude, we spent 60 years of our lives together. Now we can spend eternity forevermore together. This is so awesome, let me in. I can't wait. And she says, oh, no, 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 wait, Ernie, there's a deal here. I'm watching this for St. Peter. He told me that before you can get in, you have to spell a word. You have to get the word right. If you get in, the word's right. If you spell it right, you get in. If not, I pull the lever, and we know what happens. And he says, come on, Gertrude, it's me. We spent 60 years of our lives together. She says, no, we've got to do this the right way. So he says, okay, well, what's the word? And Gertrude said, the word is Czechoslovakia. It's been a rough time, right? We've gotten on each other's nerves. There's things that's been happening. We've been tired of each other. There's things going on. 
It's been difficult. I was watching a video from the president of our denomination, Kevin Copeland, and he's interviewing a director of our multicultural ministry, April Warfield, and she said this. She said, in times like this, unprecedented times require unprecedented grace. Isn't that true? We live in times right now where we require unprecedented amounts of grace. We have to give grace to one another. We may have done things that have been uh, driving each other crazy. It's time to give grace. It's time to look past that. It's time to forgive and move forward. We need lots and lots of grace. So that's uh, the caution uh, that I want to talk about today is that we can forget something that's very, very important that hinders us from doing that. I rejoiced last week during Easter service. I thought it was amazing. It was so great to get everyone back together, to uh, be here together again. It was fantastic to worship uh, God together. But the thing I want to caution us with is there's a tendency sometimes for us to leave the power and truth of the resurrection, the awe and wonder of the resurrection, to leave that at Easter Sunday and then just jump into our same old, same old and try to slug out life on our own. And I want to caution us because the truth is, Easter, what we celebrate at Easter Sunday, the resurrection of Jesus Christ, is the foundation of Christianity. There's a natural tendency after Easter to shrug our shoulders and say, that was great, but we move on. But God calls us to something greater. He calls us to a greater living. So the question becomes, how do we savor the resurrection? How do we savor the resurrection? How do we live in a way that we savor what we just celebrated? How do we keep it center in our lives? How do we keep the resurrection front and center? And today's scripture is going to help us with that. So if you have a Bible, I encourage you to open to John chapter 21. We're going to focus on the first eight verses. Uh, if you have a phone, you can check it out on our church center app. All the notes and the words of the Bible are there. Uh, if you have a regular or different electronic Bible, I'll be in the CSB, Christian Standard Bible. If you have a paper Bible and it's new to you, John is about three-quarters of the way through. You'll see Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. If you hit Romans, 1 Corinthians, something like that, you went too far. Back up. Uh, John 21. And we're going to look at the first eight verses. And in this story, we see three common patterns in, of the Christian life. Three common patterns as human beings come into following Jesus. There's three common things that happen. And the first one we see is that there's this return to the same old, same old, as we were talking about, after the reality of the resurrection. And the return to the old life. Let's look at the first three verses of John 21. Jesus just rose from the dead. He made himself known. And it says, after this, Jesus revealed himself again to his disciples by the Sea of Tiberias. He revealed himself in this way. Here's who all was a part of it. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel from Canaan of Galilee, Zebedee, Zebedee's sons, who was James and John, and two other of his disciples. They were all together. And they just uh, realized that Jesus rose from the dead. And then verse 3, look at what Simon Peter says to all of them. He says, I'm going fishing. He's returning back to the same old, same old. You got to know at this point, Peter was probably at an all-time low. He was depressed. He was confused. He was sad. He didn't know how to move forward. He probably didn't want to have anything to do with following Jesus. 
because he is under this weight of guilt and condemnation. He just denied Jesus three times when he said he wouldn't. He declared he would be the most faithful follower, and he broke that. He felt horrible. He probably was filled with regret, probably filled with guilt, and the only thing he knew to do is to go back to what he knows. I'm going fishing. So he declares that, and he goes back in the midst of this failure. He felt bad because he left his friend and Lord Jesus probably in the worst moment of his earthly life. He and the disciples were confused. They were trying to figure this out. They were broken. They were in a lowly place. And in that lowly place, here's what I want you to pay attention, was their knee-jerk reaction to pursue Jesus and remember everything he taught them when he was with them on earth? No. In fact, they went backwards. They go back to their lives before Jesus. Jesus inspired them. He encouraged them. He showed them what he was all about. And he gave them a calling and commission that would change the world and change human history forever because he commissioned them to tell the story about who he was and what he has done. We call that the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he entrusted them with this story to carry it out to the whole world, to share with the world that because of the resurrection, you no longer have to fear death. Because of the resurrection, you no longer have to be weighed down by guilt. Because of the resurrection, you no longer have to be marked by sin and regret. There's a place you can come and receive forgiveness and new life. And you are to take that message to the world and change human history. And the disciples were all in. They were living that. But then Jesus died. Difficulty comes. And they forgot who they are. They forgot their calling. And they said, I'm going fishing. Did you ever notice that oftentimes when life gets hard, we tend to give up on our walk with Jesus? Oftentimes when life gets hard, we may not ditch it totally, but we take our foot off the accelerator a little bit. We kind of retreat back into what's familiar. We kind of stop what's going on. Jesus comes. He gives us new life. He forgives us. He cleanses our hearts. We invite him in. He gives us peace. He gives us a calling. He showers us with his love. Then the moment we get confused or the moment we get hurt, You think we would be able to face and stand that with this newfound power, but oftentimes we retreat. We go back. We go fishing. We no longer allow the awe and the power of the resurrected Christ to fill our minds and our hearts. Many times we like the familiarity of our brokenness. We like the comfort of the old life. We like the comfort of the brokenness, and we retreat back to that. It's kind of like that great theological movie, The Lion King. You've seen The Lion King? Simba is there and he believes he's responsible for his father's death. And so instead of taking his rightful place, the throne of king of the jungle, he retreats and he runs away. And Rafiki comes and brings him to that pond where he stirs and he sees his dad. And his dad says, Simba, remember who you are. So many times we go through Easter Sunday, we celebrate the resurrection, and then real life hits on Monday, and we forget that we are children of the King, children with a calling, children who are called to declare this amazing story of Jesus Christ. You know what we need? We need a glorious reminder. We need something to remind us of who we are, and we see that right here in verses 4 to 6. When daybreak came, Jesus stood on the shore 
but the disciples did not know it was Jesus. Friends, Jesus called out to them, you don't have any fish, do you? No, they answered. Cast the net on the right side of the boat, he told them, and you'll find some. So they did, and they were unable to haul it in because of the large number of fish. Notice that in the brokenness, in the same old, same old, Jesus didn't let them stay there. The power of the resurrection comes even when we retreat to the same old, same old. Jesus didn't let them sit there and notice how he approaches them. He doesn't confront them with guilt. He doesn't shame them back into following him. We carry warped images of God around with us that we pick up along the way. And we think the moment we make a mistake or the moment that we pull back, the moment we retreat, God's going to come out and punish us. We have this thought in our process that God is just waiting for us to screw up. It's almost like a false gospel that we carry around with us that says, God is good, I am bad, try harder. God is good, I am bad, try harder. Have you been to that church? God is good, I am bad, try harder. Have you repeated that in your head? God is good, I... That's how we act. That's how we believe God is. But that's not the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's not what following Jesus is all about. We have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. And in that place where God saw us in our fallen state, his heart was moved because he wanted relationship with us so desperately that he put together this amazing plan called the gospel where Jesus came to earth, he went to the cross, he paid for our sin, he rose from the dead, and now if we give him our hearts, we are brought close to in, into relationship with him where we become more and more like Jesus until he returns again, sets up his kingdom, and we will be part of that kingdom forever and ever and ever and ever. That's the gospel. That's what it's about. Jesus approaches them, and the first thing he does is he doesn't confront them and say, I told you so. He's not mad at them. I think if we were there, we'd say, what are you doing? Don't you get it? I spent all this time telling you about this, and you still get it wrong. No, Jesus isn't like that. Jesus is way more gracious than we are. Jesus is way more loving than we are. Jesus is way more merciful than we are. Jesus is way more forgiving than we are. And the very first thing he says to them is, friends. He calls them friends. He says, friends, do you have any fish? They are broken. They are confused. They don't know what's going to happen. They've retreated back to going fishing. And instead of guilt and condemnation and shaming that he's going to pour on them, he says to them, friends. What a statement God has for us in this scripture. What a statement. He calls them friends. Do you know... Even when you detour from God, even when you miss the mark, even when you fall short of God's plan, there is still grace and mercy and a love that will bring you back to Jesus. Do you know that? Even when you blow it, even when you fall short, there is still a grace and a mercy and a love that brings you back to Jesus. And that's what the resurrection life is all about. And then Jesus does something amazing in this story. Because when Jesus was getting to know them, 
When he is talking to them way back in the beginning, when he first arrived on the scene, he introduced himself to who they are. They didn't know totally who he was yet. And he, there's a moment where the, Peter and these, all these uh, guys in the story, they just finished fishing. And Jesus shows up and he starts teaching the crowds. And then he says, why don't you uh, go back out fishing? And they say, well, we fished all night long and we didn't catch a thing. And Peter said, but because you say so, and I heard these things about you, I'll give it another shot. And he goes out. And all of a sudden they have so much fish, they can't bring it in by themselves. They need another boat. And it's so amazing that now in this time, post-crucifixion, post-resurrection, when they're confused, when they're broken, when they're trying to figure out what's going on, Jesus does the same exact miracle. Why did he do that? To remind them, it is me. I am your master, your Lord, the one who is with you. I am alive. I am here. I have not changed. You can trust me. You saw me die. Now I'm alive. The reason we savor the resurrection is because it reminds us that Jesus is real. And what he said is true. If someone comes and says, I'm going to die, and I'm going to be buried, and in three days I'm going to rise again, and then it happens, I'm going with what he says. I'm giving him my life. And that's what Jesus was doing. He wanted to remind them of who he are, who he was, and what he was about. There is a pastor who worked really, really hard to prove he was worthy of God's love. He worked really, really hard to earn God's love and prove it. He worked really, really hard to make sure his ministry was doing everything it should. And he worked so hard that he burned himself out. His name was John. He wrote a book about it. He burned himself out. He did not know the truth that God loves us, not because we are good, but because he is good. And he burned himself out, and he was in a process of healing. And he talks about in this book how he was journaling as he was spending time alone with God, trying to put his life back together. And he sensed that God was talking to him, and it wasn't like this audible voice. It was just something in his gut. And he wrote on there that he sensed what God was saying is, John, I've seen your commitment to our relationship. And it's kind of like... John, I've seen your ministry. It's kind of like, mm. and he just felt that spot. And he's like, that's exactly what I didn't want to happen. Then he sensed God speak to his gut. Now I'm going to show you mine. Now I'm going to show you my commitment to our relationship. Now I'm going to show you my ministry. Now I'm going to show you how I can work through you as you rest in me. And he said it was like a whole new definition of Christianity. Everything opened up. I saw yours. Now I'm going to show you mine. And it radically changed his life and his ministry to a one that was empowered by grace, empowered by love. And instead of working so hard to be good, he simply gave his life to Jesus and lived in relationship with him every day. See, that's what God calls us to, to rest in him and surrender to him. But then, God gives us an amazing gift. It's a gift we often take for granted. It's a gift that is so crucial to savoring the resurrection, but many times it doesn't even register with us. In fact, if I asked you, what can we do? What has God given us and what can we do to savor the resurrection? We say a lot of great things, you know, reading the Bible, scripture, coming to church, worshiping. But I think we miss 
a crucial piece that we see right here in the scripture. And it's a precious gift that is what the sermon's all about because this gift helps us savor the resurrection. Look at verses 7 and 8. The disciple, the one Jesus loved, that's John, identifying himself, said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he tied his outer clothing around him, for he had taken it off, and plunged into the sea. Since they were not far from land, about a hundred yards away, the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish. What was it that pulled Peter out of his depressing state? What was it that encouraged him to go after Jesus? What was it that reminded him, Jesus is not standing there ready to shame you and guilt you, but he wants to restore you back to ministry. What happened that made the switch from him saying, I'm going to go fishing, to now I'm going to go swim a hundred yards to get to Jesus? What changed in the story? It was the words and encouragement of his friend. John said, it is the Lord. And Peter, something in him rose up and said, yes, that's who this is. This encouragement pushed him over the edge to say, maybe there's hope. Maybe even though I denied him, maybe even though I failed him, maybe even though I couldn't, maybe there's a shred of grace and mercy here. And when he heard his brother and friend John say, it is the Lord. It was like all the movie replayed in his head how loving and gracious and kind Jesus was. And he said, yes, that's the only place I can go when I'm in this broken state. He put back his garment on, dived in the water, and swam to Jesus. This thing called Christianity was never intended for us to do alone. This thing called following Jesus was never, ever, ever intended for us to do in isolation. Now, you can go away and be alone with God, and that's a good practice. You should do that and have those times. But if that's all you do and you are never living in community with other people who want to see you become all that you are meant to be in Christ, you are missing out and you will never grow fully into all that God intended because Jesus never intended this thing called following him to be done in isolation. He always intended it to be with a group of people. You see that throughout his whole ministry in all of the Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. He was always about gathering people around him in community. In fact, I will say this. We will never grow and become all that God intends us to be unless we surround ourselves with friends who want to help us get closer to Jesus. We will never, ever grow and become all God intended unless we get into a spot where we are surrounded by like-minded people who are there to encourage us, who are there to inspire us, who are there to challenge us, who say, I don't know if you notice, but I see this in your life. Do you know that God has something bigger for you than that? Do you know that God loves you more than you're realizing right now? We need that in order to be all that God called us to be. And we see that throughout scripture. A few weeks back, Chris preached on Mark 2 of the story about where these guys had this friend who was paralyzed. They wanted to get him to Jesus, but they went to the house and it was packed. They couldn't get him in. And so they went to the roof and they started digging through the roof, ripping off the roof, and they lowered, Jesus, lowered this guy in front of Jesus so that he could be there with him. You see, we need friends 
that will tear off roofs to lower us into the presence of Jesus. We need friends as we walk through life that say, I'm not going to let you isolate. I'm not going to let you fall back. I'm going to bring you into the presence of Jesus because that changes everything. You see, that's what we need. That's what the church is. And when that happens, the resurrection of Jesus no longer becomes this religious thing that stays in Easter. It's a power that overcomes death and failure. It's a power that overcomes voices of condemnation and guilt. It's a power that overcomes sin and allows us to live in each and every day. But we need each other to remind us. And one of the things I love about Crossview Church, one of the many things I love about Crossview Church is we have many groups of little friends that lower other friends into the presence of Jesus. We call them life groups. And I'm going to encourage you, as Jed said, to get involved in a group of people. If you're not in one already, you're going to need a group of people around you to lower you into the presence of Jesus when times get tough, to remind you how to savor the resurrection of who he is. So I'm going to invite you to stop by the table today on your way out, get information and get into a life group because it is so essential to growth. If you want to be lifted out of the same old, same old, if you want to be encouraged, have a group of people around you who love you, who care about you, and who are there to encourage you. Laura Mazur and Jessica Robertson had never met before they met at mile marker 14 at the Pittsburgh Marathon. Laura was running her 12th overall marathon, and Jessica was running her first. Laura told reporters that she was feeling paranoid because she didn't want to finish last, but she found herself in last place. She turned around and noticed there was another runner next to her, Jessica. Jessica said that she was feeling defeated and upset with her performance when she noticed that Laura was there, and the two began chatting, and they decided to buddy up and run the rest of the race together. Laura later wrote on her Facebook post, I told her I'd stay with her, she stayed with me, and we agreed. The two instantly connected and clicked, and they encouraged each other along the way. Jessica, who was nervous about the possibility of not completing her first marathon, said Laura's words of encouragement kept her motivated and confident. Laura said she told Jessica, you're fine, I know you're okay, you have, we can do this together. Laura said that despite holding up the rear of the race, they were cheered along by spectators on the way, including a large cheering section at mile 25 of the 26.2-mile race. There was great support, Laura said. You felt like royalty. You felt like a real athlete. It's super awesome to have people cheer you on. It was this encouragement that propelled them to finish the race. Laura said, I just took her hand and said, let's go, and we finished what we started. I just took her hand and said, let's go, and we finished what we started. That's Christianity. That's what following Jesus is all about. We grab each other's hand, and we say, no matter what happens in life, no matter the stuff that is gut-wrenching hard, no matter the high points, I got your hand. We're going to go and we're going to finish what we started. Christianity is so like that. There's an African proverb that says this. If you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, 
go with someone. Christianity is a far, long journey that we need each other to carry us along. And one of the gifts that God gives us to do that is the gift of one another. So surround yourselves with like-minded people who will remind you to savor the resurrection and all that Jesus is. Being in a life group and a group of people is so effective because it reminds our hearts during difficult times that the resurrection of Jesus isn't just something we celebrate one day and leave, but it's something that we live out each and every day. And the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead can dwell inside of us. Let's pray. God, what a gift you give us in the resurrected Jesus. What a gift you give us in each other. Lord, forgive us for the times that we've neglected that. Father, I pray that you would connect us with people who are like-minded, who could help us grow and help us become all that you intended us to be. Lord, I pray that at Crossview Church we would be a place of connection, a be a place where people would say, put your hand in mine, let's do this and walk this thing called life out together and let's finish this race and do it victoriously because of what you promised. Lord, I pray that that would just be so natural here in this place. It would just be part of our DNA and who we are. That no one who's a part of this place would walk alone. God, we need you to help make that happen. We bring our efforts. We bring our um, feeble efforts. But God, we need you to move to do that. And so we ask that you would do that. That we could honor you with the gifts you've given us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.